Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a founder joining us from Startup Nation. You know, I love Israeli founders, I got to tell you. And today we're going to be learning quite a bit about raising money. We're going to be talking about, you know, uh, building, scaling, financing, how they went about COVID and their execution, thinking about software and hardware, you know, especially when raising money, that's a, a challenging, you know, a path. But Without a doubt, you know, like what he's done and with his team, you know, is remarkable and very inspiring. And we're going to be learning a lot today. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Dedi Gilad. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Uh, thank you for having me. So originally born in Tel Aviv, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Well, growing up uh, in Israel in general, it's, it's great. It's a lovely country. For people who haven't been here, it's an amazing place. A very a unique, uh, very small and very hectic, but a great place to live. I was living in the suburbs of Tel Aviv all the way until right after I got married, basically. All of my studies, the high school, university, all of that was in Tel Aviv. Uh, so that's basically it. Now, in your case, I mean, you've been quite uh, quite all over the place. You know, like you've lived in New York, too. I guess, how do you think your your worldview opens up where you're not just stuck in, in Tel Aviv, you know, and, and you're able to see that there's life, you know, outside? I think this is this is part of the DNA of Israelis in general. And, and I think for people, entrepreneurs, Entrepreneurs who didn't do it, I highly recommend. Uh, as an engineer also, you know, curiosity and learning new things is something part of your uh, mindset. So it, it was really amazing. Uh, I'm also, you know, I was working in the U.S. for many years, right from my first work. I was living uh, for, you know, part-time in Seattle, uh, doing some work for like three years for Microsoft in one of my first jobs uh, as a vendor to them, but uh, but it was not really as living in the country. So living in New York and the U.S. gives you a very unique, you know, proportion of, of how the real business world is happening. Your customers are adopting the product. The kids, my, 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 two, ch my two children, they were quite young by, but back then, uh, it was an amazing experience for them as well. So happily, we went back uh, right before COVID to Israel, but uh, it was an amazing experience. You know, it's a very fulfilling one and teaching one. And what about the, um, you know, also for you getting into, into computers? Because, I mean, you ended up studying computer science and it sounds like coding and software has been pivotal you know, your professional career. So how did you get into the whole thing around computers? Yeah, so, so it's uh, actually, you know, it started like many Israelis, uh, you know, the, the, the science part, or which was not really computer science initially, it was more physics. Uh, for me, it came from the high school and things that I liked. I actually love to do things with my hands. I'm sculpturing, I'm doing art uh, 
I took a break actually as part of my life for almost two years uh, doing art. So it was part of me. But in the army, uh, like many Israelis, I started as a combat, combat uh, soldier. And for medical reasons, I had to uh, remove or moved to the back offices uh, for the, an intelligent unit working with the combat unit. So in that unit, I learned a lot about uh, GIS and uh, mapping and software. And I got the bug of, of computer science uh, and initially as a hobby. But right after the army, uh, I said I have to learn more. So I did two things in parallel. One, went to the university to really do uh, science and engineering. And I, I learned engineering, not computer science, but I majored in information system. Uh, but also I took a course of soft courses of software development and started to work as part of my studies. And this is how I got into it. Now, in your case, too, I mean, you went at it, you know, you started. It's, it's interesting, though, because you went at it, you know, in the corporate side versus, you know, like the typical folks, you know, in in computer science that will go at it right away as an entrepreneur. What do you think? took you, you know, uh, these years? I mean, we're talking about at least, you know, what would you say, you know, like 15, 20 years to, uh, to really start your own startup? What, what do you think took you so long? So, so yes and no, I didn't, uh, I also had a small, I'll give you some notes on that. So at the beginning, it was really, the, the, you do, at least in my background, when I started, it was like many years ago, almost uh, Almost 30 years ago, uh, my first job after after my my uh, my uh, studies in the university uh, was the high tech industry wasn't really very strong in terms of uh, you know startups building startups and so forth. It just started all the financing side in Israel. So Israel was very focused on IT or hardware, chip design and so forth. And I'm not an engineer. On the hardware side, so I started on the software IT side, and started to grow from there into VP roles and later on CTOs. As one time in my life, uh, with a friend, with a dear friend, I did started uh, something for like a year, a year and a half, out of our garage, and and uh, and raised some initial funds from the Technion uh, incubator. But then came uh, uh, the the two thousand collapse uh, that you all remember and then we, we we couldn't really raise more funds so we went back each one of us to his own uh, day job uh, and the second time was really when I said I have enough of my own in terms of capabilities to to start my own business you have to be very strong at the beginning certainly our type of business and you have to have enough uh, tailwind and support to be able to really go with it uh, all the way, like like I did, so that took us uh, more years, and this only started at the end of 2012, like 11 years ago. So I guess before it started, you know, like on when you were like in the in the corporate side of things, I mean, you were actually part of, for example, like two acquisitions as well. I I guess what kind of visibility would you say that gave you into the full life cycle of of a company? So, yeah, one of them was, was interesting because it was more uh, simple and, and modest, a uh, few tens of millions, and, and it was between two Israeli companies. Uh, and I, what I've learned from that is that I hate corporate. The company who acquired us 
was a large company. I found myself very quickly managing like 80 people, 90 people in a very corporate-like uh, a company, and I didn't like it. Also, uh, uh, there was a small aqua hire for a previous company into Microsoft at the beginning of the days, and, and I didn't really want to move that. Most of my employees went into Microsoft, and I, after working with them for, for a long time, it, was, it wasn't the right spirit for me. So it was more of starting things from scratch. So this gave me the notion that I'm a type of guy that likes to build things uh, uh, to a certain level to create and to innovate. And, and that you can do mostly in small companies. So let's talk about now the the way that things transition, because there's here a, a really interesting sequence of events that happen, you know, all the way leading to Taito Care, which is the company that the, the rocket ship that you have started and that you're leading. So what were the sequence of events that needed to happen for you to be like, I'm ready? You know, this is it. Let's go. Cool. So uh, first it started when I when I said, you know, at some at some, you know, age or experience, you feel that you are comfortable enough on doing different things in your life and you feel that you have the power, mental power, I would say the most, and the support, uh, in my case, for my, for my wife, to really go for it. So it, it, it starts to build before that, uh, right after my first uh, small episode of Startup, I went for like two years of sabbatical and did art, learned art and teached pottery and, and sculpture. Uh, and I opened up my mind and I said, okay, I want to do other things in my life. So the job, after that happens to be in the healthcare industry. Uh, I was running initially a VP R&D and then a CEO of an Israeli subsidiary in the healthcare side. This was the first company who did hardware and software as well. So I was running for the first time also hardware-related R&D. And I got the bug, I would say. Healthcare is like a bug. And when for the first time you see that you have beyond the business aspects and beyond the technology, which is most entrepreneurs or most people in the high tech like, there is also a good cause. What you do in the healthcare when you're actually impacting people and patients uh, or doing good to the world, uh, it, it for me at, at that age was something uh, unique. So when things uh, have evolved a specific way in that company, and I said, I don't want to continue there. Uh, I, I, I knew that I'm starting something of my own. And it started with my youngest uh, kid, Shahar, back then she was four years old. Uh, she suffered from a lot of uh, throat and ear infections. Uh, me uh, taking her in the mornings uh, to the garden, to the kindergarten in Israel. I was responsible for the healthcare in the mornings and, and this ritual of going to the pediatrician on almost every month or so with the same issues, it just drove me crazy. Why can I do this visit? And I started to learn as an engineer what this, what my, our physician, which was very nearby, like a few blocks from my home in Ebony Huda, and, and what is he doing? And how can I replicate it somehow? And when the time came uh, also in my previous company, I decided I'm starting something new and I joined uh, we offer my dear partner who was with me for six years before that as an employee, and we started Taitoke. So Taitoke came out of a personal need and a personal, personal frustration, I would say. 
So then walk us through the moment that you finally activate this, you decide to bring this to life, and how did you know the whole thing you know come together? What were the the early days like when you decided to activate the switch? Well, so so it starts when you're still uh, you know just thinking about it and and reading a lot and doing some market research and and I was back then already pretty savvy with business uh, or grow bigger companies on what does it take to bring a, comp- a product to life. So I was also not only on the technology side, but also on the business side. So I did a lot of learning. And once I saw that there is a, a good match, uh, obviously I was a little bit optimistic back then, how differentiator the solution is, how innovative it is in terms of market adoption. Uh, I, I said, I'm going out, I'm quitting my day job. And I spoke with Offer, uh, both of us, and we did a short of analysis together. And then we quit together and starting funding ourselves. We started with a small uh, small funding from the Israeli government that gives uh, young entrepreneurs and mostly from our own funds. Uh, and we said we'll take like six months and we we'll see if we can raise money. Obviously, it took us longer. And uh, and it's, it's hard. Those, those initial days, Taito was doing both uh, uh, some proof of concept that, of the technology because we took something which is very potentially simple uh, but very, very complex in the day-to-day. We're actually taking uh, the, the examinations of a clinician, a PCP, primary care physician, pediatrician, and the work that they do physically in their office with a patient, so imaging of the ear, the throat, the skin, auscultation, recording or listening to the heart and, and lung sounds and getting some vital signs, all of those activity uh, to be done by a lay user at home. So it started with a very big technology barrier. How can we technically do it and give consumers ability to do it? So algorithm, a tracking, guiding user and so forth. And in parallel, seeing if, if, if we can even raise initial funds. And I can tell you this was a very, very tough time. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a good time in Israel in terms of 2012 was a good year to, to raise funds. But, you know, when you come uh, uh, back then in, with a company that is creating a device, a medical device, a lot of regulatory that is consumer-based, not some, you know, a, a CPU or, or PCB that runs in the background of a server, something that people actually use. Very, very difficult. You, we took a very, it took a very big le- a, a leap of faith from our initial investor that this is even achievable for a small company from Israel. We're not a giant. Back then, we were, there were not really too many companies at scale. There were few, but very, very few. Uh, and and doing this combination of hardware, software, algorithm, uh, consumer, medical, it's a very, very tough uh, combination. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept 
really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance you know that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition so that gap that i found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when i met my co-founder at pantera mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So for the people that are listening to get it, what ended up being the business model of the company? How do you guys make money? So it, it changed over time. And today I would say the following title uh, is a, a platform powered by a consumer device, a kit of multiple, like five different FDA clear devices that allows uh, people to run all their uh, medical service, primary care service from home. Basically, we sell uh, to providers and to payers, so insurance companies, large U.S. employers, anyone who takes medical risk uh, medical insurance on patients, we sell it to them in a B2B model as a sub subscription. The kit itself, the device itself, along with the service that we provide are all encapsulated into a monthly or yearly pay payment per family who is part of the service. So a large insurer like Elevance in the US or Anthem is providing it for free to their members, to the relevant members, and each family who is connected to the service dr drives a, a revenue for title. Not directly, we're not getting paid by the consumer, we're getting paid by the payer, by the insurance company. So this is how the business model works. And the longer they are with us, both value to the payer themselves. So they see cost reduction in their insurance coverage. Their total cost of care is going down because a service with title saves time and saves ER visit and saves urgent care visit and saves medicine and so forth. The consumer have obviously ease of use from home uh, at the lower cost as well between them and the insurer. And title is getting uh, basically the revenues from the service. So I guess uh, in this case too, you know, for for you guys, you know, how is the all, the whole FDA, you know, side of things for a company like this? How does that, you know, pan out? So so yeah, also very you know a pivotal moment in our life. I I uh, first of all medical. Uh, we're not a medical device company. We are you know, digital health uh, uh, powered by a medical device. Uh, but those companies are usually late bloomers. You, you cannot go to market, unlike uh, other 
you know, consumer-oriented or other software SaaS companies that who can be in the market after two years. For us, it took almost five years until you build the first beta and test it and go through all the regulatory, even before the FDA and CE. And then you start the CE journey uh, and, the, and the FDA journey, which is from approximately two years each. Uh, what was also difficult for title it was that we didn't really have a predicate in FDA. If you have a predicate, a similar product already approved, it's easier. And we took a very weak route of a combination product that is built. It's like five different uh, medical devices, a stethoscope, an autoscope, a thermometer, an exam camera, and so forth, and combined it into a modular kit. And it was new for the FDA. We had a lot of back and forth initially, but we took, a, you know, looking backwards, we probably took the right approach because today it's much easier for us to change element in the product, to add element. It's not like fixed because in the FDA, on the regulatory world, any change you do, software or hardware, requires a lot of clearances. Uh, again, any marketing materials requires approval, so it's difficult. So we were the first one who actually did it. Uh, without uh, requiring uh, a de novo process. Uh, I don't want to go into the details, but it was a, a difficult process, but also a barrier to others. Now, when it comes to raising money, you know, for a company like this, it's not easy. I mean, I guess, Justin, for the people that, listen, that are listening right now to really see it, how, how much capital tool have you guys raised to date? To date, we raised $205 million. And uh, we did it in like five uh, rounds, uh, seed and up to round uh, Series D. That was in two trenches. Uh, again, if you asked me 10 years ago, I would say you are crazy. I thought we will end up with maybe anywhere between 30 to 50 million. Uh, it's complex. It's really complex because it's not only about the device part and the FDA. It's much more around the, the, the behavioral science and the change that you make. Our marketing team is very, very different from most companies. Again, in, in B2B SaaS companies, you have a, a marketing that is doing lead gen, creating a pipe. You have salespeople that go B2B and sell it. Pretty straightforward. In our case, the work starts after the B2B sale because then you have a large payer or insurance company that bought even few thousand devices to begin with. Uh, and, and then they have to distribute it effectively to the right population with the right messaging. And nobody is using even very uh, advanced consumers today don't really do those kind of listening to their child's lungs at home without any physician. It's very rare even today. So how do you convince people to get it even for free and then to use it? And actually the usage itself brings the value because the usage itself saves the money. If people continue with their behavior and go to the clinic when they have fever or something, our product is not working. So the value is not there. So you have to do a lot of B2B to C or, or direct to consumer work in terms of engagement, you know, training, behavioral change. And, and it took us some time to understand that this is a need. But it is heavy in, 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 in both in development, but also in resources and cash. So you need funds for two types of marketing, for very, very complex R&D. We have 
groups that are doing machine learnings and, and, and AI very deeply to analyze things in your lungs. Also FDA cleared, wheezes and crackers and ear infection and so forth. We have hardware group, we have firmware group, we have servers and integration, and we have app for, for iOS, Android. So you have like three different companies into one. Now, how, how challenging is typically, you know, to, to, to really put this in front of an investor? And, and what does that journey of enrolling them into the excitement of, of what's possible? Because there's a lot of education and dreaming there that needs to happen for people to really believe in this. Because, I mean, it's challenging when you combine both software and hardware. Yeah, so I, I think what's, there's good things and bad things, you know, challenging things. I think the good thing also in terms of sales and our growth, same goes with investor. When you sell them a dream, is that it's very tangible. Everyone, from the first friends and families to the largest like inside partners who who uh, joined us and some large pension fund from Canada in the last round, they all see it very vivid that they can be a user. Anyone who speaks with me can be a title user. You can be a title user even if you have kids, if you, even if you don't have kids. Anybody can see it very tangible why it helps them. So that's the easy part. People get excited very quickly, both investors and also customers. And, you know, at first phase, it's enough for them to get excited to, to give you the funds. Then, the, the, you know, the heavy lifting and the complexity of behavioral change comes only later. So at the beginning... Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement. Still, there are, it's very complex when you start to drill down into the business model and into comparables. Investors, uh, they like ventures and, and some innovation, but they don't really like it. They like to have comparables. You are similar to another company who already did it in a different field, and they can do the comparable. In our case, there wasn't really something similar to that. So it was very, very, if you talk about medical devices, it's mostly sold to either as a B2C or devices uh, only, either as a capital equipment to health system hospitals or to the home like thermometer or some things like that. And, and service SaaS, we are not pure SaaS. We are a combination. So it, it was hard for them to digest. Happily, the first investors were really excited about the vision and went with us. And we were very, uh, uh, you know, Israeli entrepreneur, I think one of the things that is unique to them is that we can be, uh, as I call it, lean and mean. We can do a lot relatively uh, with a small amount of funds. So we, we brought the first mock-ups and, and better product working uh, clinically very fast. It wasn't approved by the FDA yet. It wasn't ready for scale, but it was working. So the, the ability to imagine that this technology can work was very quick after like a year and a half, uh, the initial product. And then there was a lot of heavy lifting until you can really submit it to the FDA and go to market. So I guess, obviously, when, when you bring investors, obviously, vision is a big one. And let's say you were to go to sleep tonight. And you wake up in a world where the vision of Taito Care is fully realized. What does that world look like? We are getting there. Uh, by the way, we have today more than 1 million members using the product. 
about 40,000 clinicians using the system uh, out of uh, about 220 health organizations. Again, we don't sell directly to consumers. We sell to health organizations. So the vision is, is really that most households, certainly families with kids to begin with, have a new way when they have a clinical issue. Like today, they do Google or ask their friends or doing a temperature check on themselves or their child. The very initial activity will be a go to title and do the initial checks, even without asking a clinician, just to get initial feedback, doing the basic. Today, the basic at post households is the temperature reading. Okay, nobody is calling their physician before checking their temperature, okay, in most cases. So the basic should be, for me, the basic exams of title in most households, and, and the, then you start the journey. We are not replacing physician and not trying to replace, although my AI today, according to the FDA, in many cases, uh, is the ability for me to diagnose specific murmurs or, or let's say wheezes or crackle is higher than a standard PCP because we tag the data with specialists, with pulmonologists, with cardiologists. Uh, we are still not trying to replace physicians. We want to empower them to use our data, which is highly unique in the industry. There's no entity, not Kaiser Permanente, not Mount Sinai, not any insurer in the world that has our data. We are the only company who actually have that kind of images, video, sound recording. So using that to power the, the, the physician, but not to replace them. So for me, the vision is that this is the go-to solution. Like today, if you have a, 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 a pain in your belly, you will do an X-ray to see that you don't have this or that. So that there's a use of a, a standard care modality title becomes one of them. Now, we're talking about the future, but I want to talk about the past with a lens of reflection here. If you were to go back in time into a time machine, and I bring you back in time to 2012, you know, the moment that you were thinking about starting something, and you were able to have a sit down with that younger self, and you say to that younger, Didi, one piece of advice for launching the company, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Uh, it's a great question. I, I would uh, I, I would say to myself two two things that are opposed. You know, one in the good side, and this is my number one uh, 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 tip for entrepreneurs: is is pick your partner, the right partner. And I chosen the right partner, and and uh, both offer in title, but also my wife, without this support, certainly a journey like ours is not feasible. Uh, so that's the that's one thing that I would do exactly the same. The things that I would change, I, I would I would say do faster, uh, move faster to the US, work more with large, I wasn't really, I was more optimistic than I now, and now more realistic in terms of how easy it to change. And it's sometimes pure luck. You know, some companies, amazing companies can come ahead of the curve and they miss the market because the market doesn't catch up with them. So they end up without funding and then the market comes. 
It was in a lot of technologies, even in Israel, voice over IP and video and so and, and things like that. So, so I think uh, uh, getting in front of the market uh, faster uh, in terms of uh, U.S. investors was something I would do faster. Uh, that would be the two the two things, and maybe from that to learn about the need for engagement. So initially, we grew very very fast very, very wide, many, many organizations. I think looking backward to go deeper with few customers and learn the next levels uh, could have helped as well. So that's incredible. Very profound. So for the people that are listening, that are very inspired and that are wondering, hey, I would love to reach out and say hi. What is the best way for them to do so? Uh, to email me. Uh, I, I can keep the, the email address, uh, my personal one or title, and they can feel free to reach. I'm not very fast responder, but I like, I, I do a lot of uh, work with entrepreneurs and uh, trying to help. Again, our journey is still not, uh, we're still working and still growing, you know, selling, you know, in tens of millions, it's, it's nice, but you want to grow beyond that. And, and, uh, but I'm always happy to support and to assist. Amazing. Well, hey, Daddy, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.